Are you immediately transported back to childhood memories of your home? Or do you begin to think about the place that you live now? Home can bring back happy and fond memories if home was a safe place. But maybe at one time, home for you was a place of danger, of difficulty, of abuse, and not the sanctuary and safe haven it was supposed to be. Or at some point in your life, maybe you experience being homeless, and so you understand the preciousness of home. What does home mean to you? When we think about home, it's often more than bricks and mortar. Home is the environment and a set of experiences, a tapestry of memories and a range of emotions. The topic today, does life after death, is the fourth in our five-part series on the basic foundations of doctrine. And I've called this sermon home because our journey today will look at death not as something to be ignored, pushed out of the mind or feared, but as a supernatural coming home. This mystery will leave you with questions as well as answers, and that's okay. The Bible rarely gives us simple, clear answers. Otherwise, it would lose the mystery designed to call us into a deeper relationship with God. If you just take one little topic on this area, Jesus returning to earth in his second coming, uh, Joe Clark kindly emailed me an article with all the different views that Christians have. Pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, post-wrath rapture, post-tribulation second coming, preterism, amillennialism, post-millennialism, and dominionism. And I'm sure there are more. They're all well thought out, biblically grounded views, and they are all different. When asked the question, Jesus rarely gave people answers. Instead, he often told a parable or he asked a question in return. Do you think Jesus has changed? The point of this sermon isn't to leave you with more information. But with the help of the Holy Spirit to invite you to a deeper journey of spiritual understanding and growth. So I pray that as you listen today, Jesus will ask you questions and that you will go away and meditate and wrestle and with the help of the Holy Spirit, find new life and freedom, abundant life in a deeper relationship with your Lord and Saviour, your Master and Friend, King Jesus. So I've broken this talk into three areas. Death before life, life after death, and life before death. Or if you like, death, resurrection, and life. And in the past year, this fellowship, so many of us have lost loved ones. There have been funerals of members of this church, and each of us have been to other churches saying goodbye to family and friends. Just in the last five weeks, Vicky and I have been to two funerals in quick succession. Steve Joseph's mum, Claire Joseph, and Vicky's auntie Grace Payne. And it was a real privilege to attend those funerals because both were mighty women of God. Their churches were packed with people whose lives they had touched. 
Many had travelled far distances to pay their respects, to mourn, to grieve, and to celebrate the life of these women. And I just want to acknowledge and pause on that point, especially for those who have recently lost friends and family. Because the Bible says we mourn with those who mourn. And for those left behind, death is a grieving and a mourning process. Yes, those who are in Christ are assured of their destination when they die. It's cause for great hope. It gives us the ability to celebrate God's goodness and thank him for the lost one's life. However, it is still a great loss. And it is something to be grieved and to be mourned by those who love them. The shortest verse in the Bible is, Jesus wept. And that verse took place outside the tomb of his dear and dead friend, Lazarus. Attending these funerals left me with a few thoughts. The first is that I didn't really know either of these women that well. As I heard the stories and testimonies and tributes, I was moved by their generous kindness and the fruit of their lives, the way that God had used them and moved in their life. And I thought, how much richer my life might have been had I taken the opportunity just to know them a little more. And perhaps there are people in my life and in your life, people who right now we need to spend a little more time with and get to know a little better. Perhaps even as I speak, the Holy Spirit is just nudging you or prompting you and bringing such people to mind. Please, resolve in your heart now to do something about that. Then, after the obituaries and the testimonies and the tributes, I began to wonder, well, what if this were my funeral? I wonder how many lives I've reached and what people would say. And I wonder, what would your obituary be if you died now? I became a little uncomfortable as I realized that much of my life is still unfulfilled. How much I still have to live and how much more I want to do for God. And that left me with another question. If I fast forward to the end of my life, to my funeral, what would I want people to say about me? And perhaps you might ponder those questions. Maybe find a little time in this week to consider the questions yourself. What would your obituary be? What would you want people to say at your funeral? So let me leave those questions with you and move on to the first of the three themes today. Death before life. I wonder how many deaths do you think there are? It's not a trick question, but it is a searching one. Most people would answer one. They think of death of as this body dying, and that's about it. But when you listen to Jesus, you get a clue that there might be something else going on. There might be a different answer. Matthew 8, verse 21 to 22. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. How can dead people bury dead people? 
It really doesn't make sense. Well, it doesn't if your view of life is limited to the material realm. If we limit our view of reality to flesh and blood, the things that we can measure, touch, taste, feel and smell. But the Bible doesn't limit things that way. It points us to a greater reality, a spiritual reality. This is the reality that we need to inhabit if we're to be truly understanding of death, resurrection and life. We're not like other religions who believe that this world is an illusion or that this world is of no importance. We don't believe that. The material realm is firmly acknowledged by the Bible. God made the heavens and the earth, and it's important to him. But as Shakespeare's Hamlet says, there are more things in heaven and on earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. God made the heavens and the earth. It is this creation story in Genesis that helps us to understand what's meant by death before life. Because the Genesis story is our story. Let me recap for you. In Genesis 1, God creates a place, a home for us. Throughout the creation story, God creates aspects of this home. And at the end of every day, at the end of every phase of creation, the Bible says that God saw that it was good. God affirmed the goodness of his creation for us. Then in Genesis 2, the goodness continues as the creation story details the Garden of Eden, a garden home that God created as a dwelling place with him. At this stage, there is no death. And God gives humankind the tree of life. And he gives us this command, Genesis 1, verse 16 to 17. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So we have a home. We have God dwelling with humankind. We have no death, and we have a warning. In Genesis 3, the story takes a turn. The serpent sows doubt in the mind of Eve, who in turn persuades Adam to eat the forbidden fruit. The consequence of this action, of trusting the serpent rather than trusting God, unfolds in Genesis 3, and this decision has major consequences. Firstly, through their choice, humankind is now separated and hiding from their creator. Close relationship with Heavenly Father enjoyed in the garden is forfeited. Second, the decision to eat the fruit brings a curse that humankind will now return from the ground from which we were taken. From dust we came, to dust we will return. This is the physical death of the body that was not the Creator's original intent. And finally, we were banished from the garden. Our garden home, no longer to eat from the tree of life. <coughs> now, when Adam and Eve listened to, the, to Satan, the serpent, their rule over this world, the realm of creation that God had given to us, was handed over to the deceiver. The earthly realm now came under Satan's rule rather than man's. 
And some people take the position that God's angry with Adam and Eve and he's judging them, that his wrath was being exercised. But when I read the text, and if you read the text very carefully, this doesn't seem to be the case because God tenderly takes care of the humans by creating clothes for them. He pronounces the curse not so much as a judgment, but as a consequence. He banishes from the garden and the tree of life, not to punish them, but to protect them. Because if they had eaten from the tree of life, they would live forever in this disconnected state from God. So death enters the world in two ways. We have two deaths here. The death of our intimate spiritual connection with our Father, Creator God, and along with that, the death and the loss of our true home and the death of our physical body. Now, our denomination, as you've heard, is the Assemblies of God of Great Britain. And we call it AOG for short. We've been part of the AOG from when the, the church was first planted by John Price nearly 40 years ago. You can go onto the AOG website and you can find out what we as a church sign up to and believe. There are 13 statements of faith, and I'm going to mention a few today. Statement number four is this. We believe in the fall of man who was created pure and upright, but fell by voluntary transgression. So if this is how death entered the world, let's look at the next theme. What happens when we die? Life after death. What is death? In Christian circles, we often talk about being promoted to glory. Have you heard that one? Yeah. When the body dies, we move on into a bigger, better reality, a new reality. The scriptures also talk about falling asleep. You heard that one? Yeah. Sleep's a type of death and resurrection. It's a pattern of letting go and trusting that God will wake us up again, will resurrect us in the morning. The writers of the New Testament the early Christians had a firm understanding that our life on earth, whilst of eternal importance, was temporal. They knew that we are in the world, but not of it, aliens and strangers. They knew with certainty that after death came resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Can we just see this, say these last few words together? It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. They knew this because Jesus had said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Come on, I expect a hallelujah on that one. Or an amen or something a bit more. The title of this talk, Home, came from another way that they referred to death. Of being called home. And we heard in the Lumau Project... In the Gospel of John, that Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. He talked about a mansion. He talked about preparing a place for us to go back to our Father's home. The early disciples knew that this body 
is more like a tent. What, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. As Kevin said last week, this body is the earth suit for our spirit because our true home is an eternal house in heaven. Hallelujah. Throughout the ages, Christians have died well because they had a confidence about reality. That this body was not the end. Death is not the final word. Someone once said, death is the ultimate statistic. Ten out of ten people die. However, in our culture, have you noticed there's a bit of an aversion to death? There's a bit of a, a, a reticence to confront our own mortality. We preserve our youthful looks, pushing our eventual mortal fate to the back of our minds, ignoring the inevitable statistic that will one day claim us. On Monday, I celebrated my 50th birthday. Thank you, Mick. Thank you, Mick. What I was looking for is you don't look it well. I, I wasn't looking for applause, honestly. I, I, was, I was looking for, wow, you don't look 50, but never mind. <laughs> to be honest, as a youngster, I didn't think I'd live this long. I really didn't. Um, I was fascinated with what lay beyond the veil of death. And to tell you the truth, although people don't like to confront their mortality, there is out there a real fascination with the spiritual realm and what happens after death. Um, and this may sound weird, and I know you already think I'm weird anyway, so this might just add to the weirdness. But as a youngster, I used to spend time in graveyards. Anybody else used to do that? <laughs> Thank you, we've got two. Any more? Come on, be brave, I see that hand. <laughs> um, I, I used to look at the headstones, and I used to sort of contemplate that that person who was named on that headstone at some point in time, used to walk around the earth like I walked around. And at some point in time, I too will have a headstone that someone may stop in front of and look at. Although it sounds morose, contemplating death can be a very healthy thing. So many people fear death, but confronting your mortality can and should motivate you. It should jolt you out of simply existing of going through the motions. It's a wake-up call. Begin to count as precious every day you've been given. The Bible says, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. Live with eternity in mind. Or as one of my favorite bits of dead poet society says, Carpe. Carpe diem, seize the day. So as we contemplate death, we ought to look at what the Bible says. And like Kevin said last week, this would take a series of sermons lasting a year or more to properly explore. So we are encouraging you to go away, to look at the Bibles yourself, to read around the subject, to listen to the Holy Spirit, and to check out some of this stuff. But in a nutshell... The book of Revelation talks about a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more weeping. It talks of Eden restored and a tree of life available to us once more. Another hallelujah, please. God once more makes his home with us 
His dwelling place will be with us and we will be his children. We also believe that when Jesus died, he took the keys of death and Hades. We believe that Jesus is coming back again. There are all sorts of different views on how and when that will happen, as I said at the beginning. But we can be assured that Jesus talked about his return. He talked about coming back and he talked about judging the world. In the ALG Statements of Faith, here is number 13. We believe in the bodily resurrection of all men, the everlasting conscious bliss of all who truly believe in Lord Jesus Christ, and the everlasting conscious punishment of all whose names are not written in the book of life. That last bit's not a popular message in today's society, is it? And we need to be really, really careful about how we talk, especially to non-Christians, about this subject. But Jesus did talk a lot about death and resurrection. Here's just one passage from Revelation 21, verse 8, talking about judgment. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and the liars, they will all be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And I am the first to say a big caution here. We have to be extremely wise about how we read books of the Bible like Revelation. They are apocryphal. That means they use imagery and coded language and can't just be taken at face value. But Jesus himself did talk plainly about judgment. Just take a few verses from Matthew 10. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but can't destroy the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both in hell. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Jesus talked time and time again about separating the sheep from the goats. He talked about a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. When people realize that they are now separated from the kingdom of God and their heavenly Father. But for those of us who follow Christ and who made that decision, Jesus used a different image, a banquet, a wedding feast. Jesus often talked about death as a place of reward. Judgment for the Christian is not about our eternal destiny. That is already assured. Judgment is about being rewarded for how you live this life. The economy of the kingdom is reward. Matthew 6, verse 37 says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they've done. Now, Kevin clearly told us last week that we can't earn our salvation. We are saved by faith alone, and that faith is the only way to please God. However, Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell all he had to give it to the poor and he would have treasure in heaven. He says that when we are persecuted, we should rejoice because our reward is in heaven. 
He said we're to pray and fast in secret and God will reward us. He said that if we give a glass of water to one of the least of these, we will certainly not lose our reward. And there are just a few verses about reward. But the problem is, you see, Jesus doesn't reward us for the things we expect him and think he will reward us for. So he doesn't sort of reward us for doing amazing miracles or bringing brilliant prophecy or being very religious and attending church and doing all those things. And those are the things that we have to be careful about when we think we can earn our salvation. In fact, Jesus said to many of those sort of religious people of his day, he says he'll say to them, get away from me, I never knew you. So what does Jesus reward? Simply this, knowing him, doing the will of the Father and obeying his commands. And what was his greatest command? To love God and to love others. Just before I get into the last part of this talk, the worship team are coming up. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when you are face to face with Jesus in eternity? To know and to feel without a shadow of a doubt that you're completely loved by him. We should feel that now, but can you imagine what it will be like? Just close your eyes and relax and listen as the worship team minister to you and just imagine. Thanks, team. 
So I hope that song spoke to you as we get into the final theme. Life before death. Because although the main theme today has been life after death that we've just looked at, I wanted to end on us focusing how we live our lives now before we die. Jesus is coming back. He didn't give great detail about when or how he would return, and it was clear that we should be less bothered about how or when. Rather, Jesus wanted us to, as the Cub Scout motto goes, be prepared for his return by focusing on how we live now. We don't know when we'll die. Last year, a pastor in America preached on exactly this subject that I'm preaching on, and within the week, he was dead. Trust me, I'm not looking to repeat that here. But let me ask, if you only had five years to live, if you knew that, what would you do differently? Earlier I talked about the fall, when death entered the world and separated us from God. But then God already had in mind his redemption plan to reconcile us back home to him through his son Jesus that we might live before we die. The Bible says that this redemptive plan of Jesus coming to die on a cross, to die for us, deals once and for all with a problem of sin and makes a way back for us to find our home with God. On the cross, Jesus did all the work so that all we have to do is believe in him, love him, obey his commands and live the life that he lays before us. And if you have never accepted that free gift, the gift of true life, let me urge you to do something about it today. Resolving your heart to accept Jesus as your saviour, to be baptised in him, to follow him. Make the most important decision today. John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's the NIV version. Let me read the message version to you. I came so that they can have real life, an eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Accepting this eternal spiritual life is the most wonderful thing you could ever do. It doesn't mean your life will be free all of a sudden from problems. In fact, Jesus said quite the opposite, that we should expect trouble and trials and tribulations and persecutions so we should count the cost before following him. Jesus was quite clear. If we want to live this eternal life now, we have to take up our cross daily and follow him. For those of us who have made that decision, this means on a daily basis, we have to die to self, and it's our job to crucify our ego. We have to take off the costumes we so easily wear, the scaffolding that we construct around our life to protect ourselves, the masks we hide behind. Our false self has to die in order for us to really live a resurrected life from our true self, our spiritual self, our eternal self. You see, too many Christians have come to faith in Christ to assure themselves of their eternal destination, and that's really important. But if you stop there, you are not actually living the eternal life. 
You're not living the life that Jesus offers to you now before you die. One of my friends has a great saying. It's not pie in the sky when you die, but it's steak on the plate while you wait. Do you like that? I like that. Not pie in the sky when you die, steak on the plate while you wait. If you make this decision to follow Jesus, your life will always have purpose. You will always have something to live for. You will have a new spiritual life, an eternal life now, as Jesus comes to you and makes his home with you. So as the worship team comes back up, <laughs> in conclusion, the question I asked at the start of our time together, in the future, what would people say at your funeral? It can and it should motivate us to think about changes we might need to make now so that in 5 or 10 or 15, 20, longer or shorter, however many years, when our time finally comes, we have lived the full life and become the people of God that he intended us to be. We have reached people with God's love and mercy and kindness and we've extended his kingdom. We've not just thought of ourselves, but we've left a, a legacy for the next generation. We're not someone who started well, but floundered and stopped when life's troubles came knocking at the door. We're not someone who's let the weeds of cares and the wealth of this world strangle our God-given divine identity. No, we've picked ourselves up. We've refocused on the calling that God's put on our lives. And like the Apostle Paul, we have run the race marked out for us and we claim the victor's crown. Amen. I'm just going to ask Kevin to come up and pray for us. The band have got a couple of items of worship that we're just going to end with and invite you to. But I just felt when I was preparing this talk that it was right again at the end to pause, to pray about what we've heard and to make an opportunity for that decision and for that invitation. Thanks, Kev. Bless you, Will. Let's just um, close our eyes. I think we've heard the word of God this morning. Very conscious of the, the presence of the Holy Spirit when he, he wants to move. We just create that space for him to, to move amongst us, to bring conviction. Maybe some of us need to uh, repent today, to ask the Lord to forgive them of things that have happened in the life. A strong sense of um, forgiveness that we need to forgive others. Things that we're holding grudges on people. Pray they'll be released today. And a real sense of confidence to come upon us. Confidence in the truths that God has spoken to us. 
today in, in his word, but also the promises over our lives. And a real confidence that we can be the people that God has made us to be. No regrets, just truth. So Holy Spirit, the floor is open to you. We acknowledge your presence. We thank you for the work you've already done and are doing. And I pray for a release now over every single soul, Lord, in this place, in the name of Jesus. I pray for a release and a liberty for people to make that step in their own hearts, Lord God, to forgive, to assert, to say yes and amen to your promises, Lord. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, let's lift our voices, folks. Holy Spirit is here. We acknowledge your presence, Lord. We worship you. Need you to move in this place, move in this place. In our hearts you're here, Lord. In our hearts you're here, Lord. Oh, we need you. Oh, we need you. Oh, we need you, Lord. Oh, we need you. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. As we honor you, lay down the past, lay down our regrets, lay down those thoughts that bind. Oh, we need you, we need you, we need you. Oh, we need you, we need you. Lift up those voices, speak in tongues, declare the truth of God, declare the truth of God. He is here, is here, he is here, he is here, he is here. In the name of Jesus. 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 Okay.
with every every eye shut the word's gone out there's an opportunity here to, this morning as will said there's no reason for anyone to leave this place once again if you do not know Jesus as your lord and savior if you do not have the confidence to know that if you were to walk out that door and and pass away from this natural life that you would be with him this morning is that opportunity i'm just going to ask if there's anyone here who hasn't made that step and you just put your hand up very simply and put it down and i'll acknowledge it and we'll make that transition this morning from death to life so i'm looking around every eye shut is there anyone here this morning that needs to pass from death to life thank you jesus Okay. Okay, I'm I'm going to now pray for that confidence. If you need confidence this morning, confidence in the promises of God that you can live life today. For those of you who are being bound by guilt and unforgiveness in the name of Jesus let's deal with that right now. If that is something that's on your heart now that is preventing you from entering into that peace that Will's been speaking about this morning and just put your hand up very simply and put it down after I acknowledge it and we'll pray over you as well. Thank you. I see you. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Need a release this morning to enter into the peace of God. But feel bound by unforgiveness. And need the confidence to know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. 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 